Do you like the north of England? Would you like to spend a couple of days doing nothing but playing board games, eating great food, in the presence of fantastic people, some well-known faces from board game media, and potentially Matthew Jude smelling great? Then, come to Aircon between the 13th to 15th of March next year. Tickets and more information are available on their website. That's aircon.co.uk and also in the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show. episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for autumn or fall if you're in America. Autumn. You, you, you can't call it fall. It's <clears throat> yes, I can. There, there is yes, literally a line in one of our audio dramas where my character says, I'm not saying fall. I'm not saying that word. I'm saying autumn. And then he redoes it. It's brilliant. I am the person that looks at the stats and I realise that the amount of number of people that are listening to this, more of them are based on the sunny side of the world, which is also know. known as the America, you know. <laughs> I know. So I know. That's I have the brilliant to part of it. it. I have to mention it both. I have to mention it both. Um, joining me today already, because he just can't help himself, it's almost like, you know, he's kind of keeps on cropping up. And... I've got to the point where he just turns up. He's like kind of like a neighbour that you regret saying hello to. Because now what <laughs> happens is he just turns up at your doorstep and goes, oh, yeah, I've not watched this episode of Breaking Bad. Have you, I've seen this before. Have you seen it? And you're like, no. Oh, this is the really good bit where this bit happens and then this bit happens and then this bit happens. So... Um, joining me, I've got Mike. Won't you be my neighbour, Mister Ed Jowett from Shades of Vengeance, who um, he's a serial kind of offender. He's always like a serial, a serial podcast guest. We do like him. So kind of he's like cornflakes or Rice Krispies or you know, do, do do we have a preference? Cocoa Pops maybe. Ricicles? That's the sound of all the applause that you're getting for that joke because it's absolutely terrible. How dare you? What are you doing? You're bringing down the tone of the conversation already. <sighs> Things like that accepted. are forbidden. No, no, no. Things like that are forbidden. You're not rocking out with the dad jokes. It's like having Aaron Wilson on again and him telling all his little dad jokes, which he only told one and it was pretty bad. But anyway, those types of jokes are forbidden. And speaking of forbidden... We're here to talk about Era Forbidden, which is a tabletop ripper. Aren't we, Ed? We are, in fact, here to talk about Era Forbidden, which I pronounce a tabletop RPG, but ripper works too. <laughs> it's like, I'm not, I decide how I want to, 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 to pronounce stuff. Look, like know? I said, I, I pronounce it RPG, and, and you pronounce it the way you want to. It, it's fine. 
It's a role playing game. Wrong. Rip again. But it's it's, it's fine. It's not wrong. It's not wrong, but it's not right. Um, the reason that let's we do agree this to is, disagree. You can say what you want. I'm still trying to get on with this while you're interrupting every two minutes, and it's just not happening. The reason that we do this quite simply is because sometimes you have a really, really good bunch of guests, and then sometimes you need to remind yourself the level that you started off at, which is why you have Ed coming back on. And the other reason that we do oh, I this that. is Thank because you. I. Uh, because actually when it comes down to it I do like having Ed on the show because we don't need to it's like um, I can walk around this house with my shoes on because we're at that point in our friendship where I used to take my shoes off and now I don't care you know I'm just tromping about his house on his cream carpet you know helping myself to a cup of coffee and his last insulting his chocolate dog or yeah. whatever Ins- insulting your fat dog <laughs> Um, with a funny, with a funny eye, did you get his eye sorted out? Because I mean, it kept looking one way and the other. I didn't know if it was like going left or going right, going for a shave or a haircut. I had no idea. Um, but I hope it's it's, doing uh, well. it's it's supposed to be a challenge. <laughs> it's not because it keeps chasing its nose down the street, and that's just embarrassing. Um, ear of forbidden is quite important, isn't it? I mean, it's like, is it is it is it kind of like a different direction for you guys era forbidden is really important to me for one very specific reason well no actually about five very specific reasons um era forbidden is my 10th tabletop role-playing game uh that is 10th unique line um i can list them all out if you're desperate to hear but all you really have to do is check the backlog of this gentleman's show and and you'll find all of them um Era Forbidden is, is my 10th tabletop role-playing game universe, and um, I developed it with my wife, um, Immaculate Jowett, uh, who has sort of participated ever since kind of Era the Consortium in the early days, um, but, uh, you know, she's never really sort of come forward and said, yes, I'll design a game with you before. So that was, you know, that's a really big deal for me. Another reason that this game is a really big deal for me, is um, Sophia Michaelidou, who has done the artwork. She's done artwork for games since Era the Consortium. She did Era Liars, Era Silence, various other bits and pieces. Yeah. But she and I have never really kind of done an entire game together from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what she's done for Era Forbidden is absolutely stunning. And for me, it's really a, a sign of how, uh, this almost sounds insulting, how far her artwork has come over sort of seven years that we've been working together. Um, because I, I, I think that what she's done for Era Forbidden is absolutely jaw-dropping. It's, it's so good. And, um, you know, I am so proud to have worked with her for all of this time and and sort of reach this point where we're creating this game. Um, and, and there's, you know, there's so much more in the future as well. You know, I, this certainly isn't going to be the last game or anything. It, it's just, it's a lovely milestone to be at. You know, 10 games. Um, we're actually at around uh, 83 books in total at the moment. Um, uh, published and sold. Uh, and... Um, uh, that that is not in total. I mean, that's eighty three unique books. That's pretty cool. And in terms of um, in terms of your wife kind of getting involved, 
Has she come in and kind of fixed things that bugged her? Has she challenged... Because you've always been... I know that you collaborate with kind of people. I know you get feedback from groups and stuff like that. I know that you you have a nice little community kind of going on. But was it difference having... I take it was your wife quite happy to kind of challenge you on how certain things were working and try and make slight changes to the system um, itself was she kind of quite happy to drive it off more in her own direction than what than what you intended to and, and did she surprise you at any point in the development process where you were like actually wow that's a pretty good way to do things actually come to think of it so uh, the answer is absolutely she surprised me quite, quite frequently during the development process, but her focus was primarily on the story side, uh, mm-hmm. not so much on the uh, on the mechanic side. But in the case of the way the story came together, um, you know, the, the idea of, uh, you know, oh, angels are winged and they kind of live in the sky and so on and that's a thing, and, mm-hmm. and the demons kind of emerge from the ground and then run around in what used to be the sewers, uh, you know, under, under cities and so on. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, she, she said, okay, but, uh, you know, if, if they're actually going to fight and the angels aren't going to have all of the advantage, then, you know, winged demons have to be a thing. Yeah. I was like, that's a really good point. (laughs) You know, um, it it was kind of like, oh yeah, well, I mean, the demons jump really high. Yeah. That high. Uh, Okay. Probably not. No, that's actually a very good point. Um, and the reason, uh, the reason that kind of that sort of stuff didn't really occur to me, is I was very inspired by Darksiders, uh, the uh, the three computer games, um, which I've I've enjoyed since I I picked up the first one, and uh, I made uh, uh, the decision that when Darksiders three came out, um, I was actually going to play the remastered versions on the PlayStation four. Um, uh, of the previous two, uh, and then play Darksiders 3, so that I reminded myself of the story, you know, kept it fresh. I, I played the last one sort of four or five years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, when I did that, I sort of sat down and did that, and sort of that really immersed me in the world quite heavily, and it, it inspired kind of the idea around the forbidden um, is very much inspired by the by the horsemen in, in, uh, in Darksiders. You know, they're these loners who, you know, have to navigate this world and, and don't want humanity to be this dead race. Um, but equally, they're not part of humanity. You know, they're, they're separate, and some humans may even be scared of them. And and kind of I built on that to, to then build the forbidden and what they are. Um, but, and, and then immediately after that, the new Hellboy movie came out. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, these two things are kind of similar. I can sort of pick up some of this and some of that, and, yeah. you know... We we kind of went through and we watched we watched the the two previous Hellboy movies and then and then the new one, um, and we you know we we came up with some new ideas, um, you know, kind of extrapolating from each of those, um, and you know it ended up with this world that sort of angels and demons are fighting, um, and and humans are still running around down there. But the and the angels and demons for the most part don't care, right? They they aren't interested. Mm-hmm. Um, the demons want to, you know, they'll, they'll occasionally try and feed on humans because they eat things, you know. Um, but you know, the angels just like they'll fight immediately over a human sort of colony or whatever, and everyone will die because they're in the way. 
Um, they don't care. Um, <clears throat> and sort of the idea that, that there are champions who can defend the humans and protect the humans and keep them alive, who, in order to become that way, become that champion, have to give up some of their humanity. You know, they, they have to sort of become something different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in a way that they can never really go back to being a normal human again. Um, you know, when an angel sees a forbidden, they'll they'll target them. They'll go straight for them and try to kill them because they see them as kind of, well, you've grabbed our weapons, so you're trying to become a threat to us. No, uh, the demons yeah, yeah. will just attack anything that's nearby, so they'll absolutely attack forbidden as well. So, you know, it, it's a very dangerous thing to be in order to try and protect humanity. And I thought that was a lovely kind of feel for the game because although I've done kind of post-apocalyptic stuff with Era Survival, I've done hero stuff with Era the Consortium the idea that you're this isolated is not something that I've really explored very sort of specifically and as a result of that I came to the idea that maybe this game should be for a small number of players so the game's actually optimised for one or two players and a GM which means it really caters for those those small groups that can't get a larger group together. You know, um, I, I have a I, 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 one of my writing team likes to play with his uh, his eight year old daughter, right? This this kind of game, depending on obviously how how you express the setting, because it is quite dark. This kind of game is fantastic for that sort of thing. The mechanics are all balanced to let you tell a solo story, to let you go in and sort of wade through these armies of demons, whether stealthily or, or you know, through brute force, and and actually sort of tell your own story. Tell your story rather than necessarily a large party story where everyone needs to have a go. Does that was that kind of whole thing, was that welcome with open arms by the community then? Because every single um I mean it's one of the greatest kind of memes ever is you know the the one of um, <clears throat> the one of Gimli and and uh, Legolas and Strider or whatever his name is, kind of saying you you know you have my you have my axe you have my bow, you know I can't do Thursday, kind of thing, and it's kind of like you know that the whole kind of thing about you know just try to get a a d and D group kind of together, and I think one of the things that I've always seen and I don't know if this is because I haven't played enough Ripigas is quite simply that um, I've always assumed that a, any type of role role playing game needs at least about three or four players because how else do you you know how do you else do you build the characterization? Does it not sound a bit daft if you try to kind of role play your character and there's just another one or two of you in the room? But also, my board game head sees well. I play solo player games. I sometimes play multiplayer games as a solo player. I often play other games as a two-player variant because, you know, it's an easy way and it means it's a lot easier for me to get one person together and one person doing something regularly sometimes than it is to get kind of like an entire group, which is kind of, which was kind of interesting. So was that, was that some of the thought kind of behind it when you decided actually let's make this for two or three people as opposed to making it to four, you know, plays best at five or six kind of thing. 
Yeah, it, it really was because, you know, when when you get to sort of as many games, as many different worlds as I have, you start wanting to do something that isn't just, oh, here's another world that I created, here's another world I created. You want to do things that sort of appeal to different parts of the community. And the thing that really... Um, the thing that really got me on that was uh, actually at Dragon Meat last December, uh, nine months ago now. Um, uh, a gentleman walked up to our our little stand at Dragon Meat and and said, uh, "Oh hi, um, I was you know I was wondering if you had any more pocket games because I you know I got liars." Silence, mm. Balam, and Hitman. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, you know, I really enjoyed having these sort of one-shot games that I can pull out. Obviously, they don't have to be one-shots, but um, you know, that's the way he played them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really enjoyed having this this variety of games that I can just pull out at no notice. You know, they all run on the same rule set with just modifications for the setting, so it's really easy to remember how they play. Um, do you have any more of them? And my answer at the time was no, because. Um, uh, you know, those those four were the only pocket games that I'd, I'd produced. I'd been working on Era the Chosen yeah. at the time. And, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of started thinking to myself, okay, well, if someone, you know, they're not interested in our, in our sort of larger games, they only really want the pocket games, what other kind of groups of people might I not have been catering for so well? You know, any game can be played with any number of people. But, um, you know, I'm the first to admit that Era of the Consortium is best played with four or five people because of yeah. the way the balance works with the weapons and so on. Yeah. Um, you know, w- w- what other groups am I not am I not catering to? And, and as you say, the, the meme that you refer to is, is one of the most sort of common memes that I come across as well. Um, you know, we... We all want to play role-playing games, you know, uh, at one time or another... And it's it's so common to have, oh, but I can't make this day. And then as the GM, particularly, because I'm usually a GM, uh, you know, you're, you're going, okay, well, do I still run the game this day because this person can't make it? And do I, like, pause their character in some way or, or like, write them out a bit or whatever? Or do I kind of push on, like, push the date back and, and do it another day? And then who yeah. knows when the next date is that everyone can even make it? And then, you know, you, you, you can end up in perpetually pushing it back and never getting anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to kind of start catering for the groups that I haven't done to date. You know, barring the, the you know, the sci-fi fans, the the superhero fans, the, the zombie apocalypse fans and so on. I've, I've not really thought so much about the group of people who are going to play the game as... I'm going to make an amazing game, an amazing setting. It's going to be balanced for the normal kind of group of people who play a role-playing game. I thought it was time that I did something a little different. And, um, you know, in its own way, you know, Era Balam was a little different, uh, playing as a squadron of, of fighters. And uh, Era the Chosen was a little different with its kind of um, technological progression through the ages uh, which is probably more extreme than anything else I've, I've ever done but yeah in this I thought okay we're going to have one one level of technology we're not going to be doing this This there is there is an awesome history that I would love to tell I should say there's a stretch goal um, for Era Forbidden um, to turn it into a full core rulebook and all backers if we reach that stretch goal we'll get the digital rulebook when it's written alright 
uh, the the full rulebook, not just the pocket rulebook, which will also be available as soon as it's as soon as it's written. Um, well, it's being proofread at the moment. It's already written. Um, it's practically done. Uh, more artwork to come. <laughs> I mean, jumping back a bit because I think it's important. Mm. Because yes, while we do talk on a regular basis, I'm also aware that um, you know, not everyone's th- listened to us before. Yeah, there's that kind of yeah. thing, and we are continuing. I mean, we've had a phenomenal kind of shot of growth in recent times. So I'm aware that potentially um, as people move on to bigger and better podcasts from ourselves, um, and I'm aware that, you know, there'll be some people out there that are going, I have no idea what Ed is talking about. And I'm thinking, well, you know, yes, I am sometimes the same, but that is fine (laughs) because what Ed is going to do is Ed is going to take a step back from Era Forbidden and he's going to give us a quick three minutes, 37 seconds of what his era system is about. It's a D10 system. But you tell us, tell us, for those who are sitting there and going, well, because we've had a f- couple of um, um, our, our uh, Ripiga people on. Um, the last one was the Everywhere, um, the Everyverse uh, Ripiga. But if you could tell us kind of the era system, how does it work and stuff like that, just just to introduce the new people, the shiny people, the beautiful people and the lovely people, what it's all about. Uh, I'd like to say that everyone who's listening to this is beautiful and lovely. So, but but the new people, absolutely. Some of you aren't. Um, anyway, you were saying. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, as, as Richard says, the... Um, the era D10 system is a multiple D10 dice pool system. Um, shortcut for anyone who's very familiar with lots of role-playing games. It's got some similarities to Old World of Darkness and New Shadowrun, um, but New Shadowrun with, with D10s. Um, so what you do is you have an attribute and you have a skill uh, for any given situation. You'll um, take a number of dice based on that attribute plus that skill, uh, you'll roll those dice and you'll aim for a success threshold that is based on the difficulty of the action you're trying to achieve. Um, the, uh, the number of successes you get, so the number that equal or exceed that threshold, um, is, you know, defines how, how well that action went. So sort of, you know, you might have a threshold of seven for shooting an enemy or you might have a threshold of eight for sort of staying hidden when you think the enemy's already found you you know but you but you got you want to try and stay hidden anyway because they might be bluffing um and then you know depending on the number of successes you get from those rolls say three successes on hiding might let you sort of stay where you are and and really hope whereas sort of a, a one success might make might not be enough to stop you from panicking and running out and trying to run away yes um, the Era D10 system is, it, it spans a lot of different genres, but it is not a one-size-fits-all system. Um, and that's a really important factor for me in the way that Era D10 works. Era D10 is a modular system that has a core kind of set of rules that work in a certain way for all of the games. Um, so the attributes and the skills that I described, the actual skills change from game to game. They aren't always exactly identical. Um, the attributes, on the other hand, tend to remain the same, and the yeah. number of skills tends to remain the same. Um, but what then happens is you have modular pieces that you can add into the rules 
in order to have a flavour for a specific universe. Um, as I said, I've produced ten games, so in my science fiction game, Era of the Consortium, that was the first one I, I created, um, there are implants that you can, you know, that you can insert into yourself, um, and there are specialties that give you sort of a, just that little extra oomph that other characters won't have. Um, in Era Survival, there's a thing called the Karma System, which, um, it's not quite like alignment, because it's the results of your actions. So good things will happen to good people and bad things will happen to bad people. And there is a whole uh, deck of cards and an entire mechanic set that sits around these specific karma choices. Um, in uh, Era Silence, you know, it's, it's based on sort of accumulating letters, which each of which gives you a separate ability, and so on and so on. So... Uh, each of these games gives you that different flavour, and what's more is you can combine them. So I've done an expansion for Era of the Consortium, which combines the survival horror elements, the limited ammunition, and the, the constant threat of death from Era Survival, uh, called Era of the Consortium Revival. That's actually turned out very well, and uh, you can always combine bits and pieces. And that brings me to 37, 3 minutes and 37 seconds, which is exactly what Richard asked for. See? And he writes this all himself. I mean, it's not like he's got a team. He's kind of like, you know, he goes away and he does his stuff by himself and then he rocks up and you're prolific on Kickstarter. I mean, you've got, was it 33 campaigns? So, of I've got 33 shit. on this account. Yes. Um, I've also there's also a an SOV Comics account, right? Um, and I've also run four for other people um, who uh, sort of worked with me to publish their game. So I'm actually over fifty at this point. Kickstarters, um, forty eight of which have been funded to date. So this means that Ed has to basically be stopped. This is what we're saying. Does He's it, done far. It, no, I know. I mean, I'm. Pot calling the kettle black. Pot calling the kettle black here. <laughs> I'm saying sitting here like with three hundred and goodness knows how many podcasts under my belt. Yeah, tell, telling somebody else that's done like basically a sixth of what I've done. Um, <laughs> that they're doing far too much. I'm obviously the. the there's I would like to point lot. out that most of my books take more than half an hour to write. Uh, more of my most of my shows take like oh don't be. Throwing that hat down, mister. <laughs> this just this, this isn't just something that I'm gonna put out there, throw together a, a theme tune and an engine and just stick out there with some show notes. I know it I'm pretty sure like that, that is exactly what you do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it isn't at all. This is a well crafted, highly organized machine of um audiographic grace and beauty. I'll how how dare you, sir? Uh, well, in, in fairness, in fairness, you did insult my fat dog, so <laughs> you know what, what am I going to say? It's quite, it's quite a lot. I'm not saying it's like it's obviously it's winter's coming up and he's got a store. You know, you don't want to get him cold. He's not fat. It's just a lot of him I love. He's just big boned. He's there's a lot of him I love. I'm not fat shaming your. I am fat shaming your dog. I'm terrible. I'm fat shaming your dog. I feel so bad. I think that makes you an awful person. 
You have to go and delete a hundred podcasts off your list now. No, I don't know. I'll make sure most of them are yours then. Um, Anyway, um, in terms of kind of going back, because there continues to be kind of like an appetite for your books. I mean, for you to turn around and go, well, I've done like actually, I think you'll find I've actually done 50 Kickstarter campaigns. But then saying like 48 of them funded, I mean, that's that's a hell of a batting you know, a batting rate on there. I mean, yeah. are you, how do you continue, you know, for people that are saying, well, I'm on campaign number two, campaign number three, or I'm just about to start campaign number one. What, if you were able to send a note back in time to yourself, kind of when you were back at book number, you know, campaign number two and three, is there any advice you would give to people thinking about starting on Kickstarter, maybe just now? that you think would help them so if i uh if i was to send myself advice back to campaign one versus campaign two or three it would be quite different advice so if you're looking to start on kickstarter for the first time open the category that you're going to work on and scroll scroll until you can't scroll anymore Okay, for for live projects. And look at those projects and realize that that is the level of support that Kickstarter is likely to provide you. Um, So I should say, um, in most of my projects, about 50% of my backers come from within Kickstarter. Nowadays, that does include um, people who are reminded by Kickstarter when I launch a project, because people follow me on Kickstarter. But it's always been pretty close to that amount. All right, okay. Um, Kickstarter has a very active community. It's fantastic. But the level of backing that you can expect from Kickstarter is going to be similar to those right down at the bottom, not those at the top. Because the ones at the top are staff picks on Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, They're now called Project We Love, but I'm sorry, I'm stuck five years ago. Um and they are artificially pushed up the search rankings. Um, in in forty in forty eight funded kickstarters in in fifty one total, um, I have uh, I have had two projects we love mm. ever out of all of those over five years. Um, it makes a huge difference when you get selected in that way, but it you can't rely on it. Um, so look at those ones down at the bottom. Understand what they did wrong and understand also that you are probably only going to get that level of support from Kickstarter and set your goal accordingly. My, my first Kickstarter's goal was entirely unrealistic because I did not follow that advice. I didn't know. Yeah. But that's the primary piece of advice I would give myself if I was going back to day one. Now, if I was to go back to after my first campaign had failed... And then after my second campaign had funded, the piece of advice I would give myself, uh, it's something I only learned later, is look at your peers very carefully. Find out which ones do well. Find out which ones do badly. And plagiarize the crap out of them. Um, Seriously, copy, right? Uh, oh, these guys do t-shirts and they had like 80 people buy their t-shirts. Yeah. Okay, people in your domain want t-shirts, right? Yeah. Pay for an attractive t-shirt to be designed. Find a way of printing the t-shirt at a cost you can actually sell it at. Try and match their kind of cost for what the t-shirt was. 
and obviously, bear in mind if it's um, if it's a licensed property, say it's a Batman game or something, then you know you're you're playing a different game to what they're playing. So look at the proportions of what people backed. If a thousand people backed for the game and eighty people backed for the T-shirt. You might get one person backing for the t-shirt and 15 people backing for the game, yeah. roughly in that kind of you know proportion. So plan accordingly. Don't buy 500 t-shirts assuming you'll sell them, because you won't. Okay. Um, yeah. In terms of, say, the marketing side of things, do you think there's a larger percentage that needs to take place outside Kickstarter? I mean, do you have to be kind of visible long before you put the campaign kind of out there i mean are you are you kind of constantly marketing to the existing following that you have as well as try to get like a newer following kind of stepping on board and is it a case that you just can't turn up on kickstarter and say right here's my stuff give us all your money please if you don't mind kind of thing so that's a really interesting question because i have experience kind of both extremes and most people who find success on kickstarter can't explain how they did right um uh i have run multiple different comics for example um one of them made one thousand five hundred dollars and one of them made five hundred dollars yeah i did nothing different between those two comics the artwork was very similar uh similar standard um the marketing was very similar i have a method of writing kickstarter stories so that was pretty similar the video was pretty similar um i did both of them um there is no reason per se that i can point to that would say that and that equally applies to some of the people who i've uh, worked with um who have run five thousand dollar kickstarters and then a one thousand dollar kickstarter and don't really know why um i I am of the school, and there are definitely people who disagree with me on this. I am of the school that says, if you are plugging constantly, say the month running up to your Kickstarter, people are bored of it before they even get there. Yeah. Right? They, they just don't want to hear it. And when you put out a post saying, oh, now the Kickstarter's live, no one wants to know. Right? You, you've, you've spammed them into oblivion. But do you um, also think, I mean, counter to that point, though, with the number of Kickstarters that are coming out, you still have to be banging home the message on a long time. I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. I mean, I'm a member of a lot of Facebook groups, and sometimes you do see the, some, the same person kind of dropping links to the points where I think a lot of groups have brought in rules to say that, basically, if you're not engaging with the group itself, then... Goodbye. Will you know? Will not allow you just to kind of drop your link yeah. and then disappear. I see that. I've actually seen kind of like maybe probably as many admin posts as there are in the last kind of couple of weeks. You know, from groups just saying, "Look, um, we understand Kickstarter is competitive, but if you're just using us to as a kind of a uh, to try and drop a message in front of our eleven thousand kind of members, then you can kind of kind of forget about it." Which again. I don't know. I mean, from my point of view, the community 
is important. You've got to build up that community. And as you say, if you've got only getting, bringing 50% of your Kickstarter funding is coming from Kickstarter, it has to come from a kind of an external source. And it's getting, it that, getting that kind of balance, isn't it? It's getting I, the people I think, that I think there's I think well. there's a balance, right? I think if no one's heard of your Kickstarter before you launch it, you have an uphill battle. Right, I I definitely think that's true, and I'm I'm not disputing that even slightly. Okay, um, I think that there is a, I think there is a merit in sort of a year before you launch your Kickstarter, you start talking about it, you give demo games, mm-hmm. you know, you do something once a month for a year, right? Yeah. At that point, it's kind of in the public consciousness a bit more, uh, of for the community that you're talking about, and you're a lot more likely to succeed. Um. You yourself uh, are a third option. Um, you produce constant content. Um, you know you're, you're you're always doing stuff. You're always doing various podcasts, three hundred odd. Um, that is another way you can constantly produce content for free for a period of time, and then go to Kickstarter and say, "Hey guys, all that content you've been enjoying for ages, would you like me to do more? Would you like me to do it better? Whatever whatever your reason is." Yeah, absolutely. That's another way. Um, uh, yourself, uh, obviously, you ran your Kickstarter n- around the time we last spoke. I think you were running your Kickstarter, um, or the time before. I, I lose track. Um, uh, or another so good example episodes. would be uh, <laughs> another good example would be Critical Role, um, who did a very similar thing. You know, they they wanted to animate an episode of of Critical Role, and and you know they've been producing content. I'm not sure if it's actually free, but I believe it's cheap if it's not free. Um, sorry, I, I don't actually, uh, shock horror, everyone. I don't follow Critical Role. I don't have that amount of time in my life, I'm afraid. Um, too busy writing new games. Um, so I think that there is, there is a balance, as you're saying. Um, I think that you have to be known. And I think that in a big way, I'm kind of, I'm certainly past that with a lot of people. A lot of people in the industry, particularly in the UK, know who I am and know what I produce. Um, and they either like it or dislike it, and that's everyone's absolute right. Um, I think that I could do more than I do uh, if I wasn't so, <laughs> you know, busy creating games. Um, I also do you, think- do you miss out on that? I mean, I mean, you're not... Because I, I know of people who are like what you would call big in the community, but they're kind of well known in the community, and they kind of produce stuff kind of once in a while that everybody kind of goes crazy, crazy for and backs like a trooper, and then someone like yourself who kind of gets on with it. Do you, I don't see an awful lot of interaction from you in the community and that's obviously each up to their own I mean I, I know I mean I, it comes down to networking events I used to do I used to take part in a lot of networking events I used to run kind of occasionally kind of run a networking event and give a presentation and it always used to be the same people they would be the same people that would turn up they would have their cup of tea and their bacon sandwich and then they were feeling like they were pushing their business forward by attending a kind of like a business networking meeting at half seven in the morning without actually going out and doing anything about their kind of like their business but do you think that you would benefit from being more I guess kind of out there kind of visual kind of thing 
or are you quite happy kind of where you are with things? That's actually a really interesting question um, because I think the answer is yes and no. I'm I'm not. Yes, I probably would benefit more. No, I'm not particularly happy with you know the the my level of exposure, particularly in some areas of the world. Um, equally, and and this is just a message to all the introverts out there. It's okay. You know, um, I have worked for years to be able to do what I'm doing right now. Um, sometimes, some days, it is still a struggle. Um, I am not great at interacting with the community. I do the best I can, as often as I can. But I think to some degree, and this is the really interesting part of what you were saying about the business networking, it comes down to why you're doing what you're doing. And there is some degree of, even if I didn't have any money coming in from sales or anything, yeah, I would still be creating games. Yeah. Because what I care about is creating games. I'm, I would like to bring in more money. I would like to see $2 million sitting on one of my Kickstarters. I... I struggle to be as exposed to the public as some of those people are. Um, I do sit down at, at events. You know, there's EtherCon coming up. There's MCM Comic Con in London coming up. There's Tabletop Gaming Live this weekend. Yeah. I do go to these events. I do stand up in front of a group of people. And I do have conversations about, uh, you know, this is what... Um, you know, th- this is how I go about being creative. This is how I approach world building. This is, you know, and I I talk to people about why I create and how I create. I I prefer my production, my, my games to speak for themselves. And if you pick up the game and you decide you don't like it, then that's cool. That's fine. Okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you you're wrong. Not in any serious way. Um, it's, it's fine. You know, um, I, I want to create games because I love doing it and that's what matters. Right. Yeah. As I say, I would do it whether I was getting Kickstarters funded or not. I'd just have to do it slower. Right. I have universes that have been exploding inside my head since I was seven years old. At least that's the first time I can remember it happening. Um, and to bring those universes to life is a privilege. And to be able to show them to the community, whether they like or dislike them, is an even greater privilege. Yeah, yeah. I also think, so, I think there's also a balance in terms of if you're known as a product, if you're known, if you're known as a person and you're tied in with a product and you get closely associated with a certain product then you're on the slippery slope for people kind of feeling that they own part of you as that person. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, in I do. if if you are if you become the big kind of happy, kind of energetic, kind of excitable and people are like, Yeah, this is great because you're fantastic um and you're kind of having a product out there at the same time there's almost like there's that you, there's the danger of crossing over into people think that they have a a kind of a certain bit of ownership over the personality as well as the product 
kind of thing, which can be a dangerous thing, which means that if you at any point just turn around and go, do you know what? This is this is draining I'm me, and I, I really yeah. need a you know I need to yeah. I need to kind of take a break. It can shock people into thinking, well, I was expecting them to be kind of X, Y, and Z, and for some people, it's really kind of um, <clears throat> it can be really, really kind of difficult to switch off. And I see it in I see it in this media space. I do see it. There are certain people who are kind of very well known for for what they do in the space, and I can see that kind of thing kind of getting melded, kind of melded to together. I was just a kind of kind of to get your take because you have. I mean, let's face it. I mean, ninety. <laughs> You know, you can't ninety six percent success rate on Kickstarter with everything that you've done, with you know the number of projects that you've done as well. You're obviously kind of doing kind of something right, which is which is you know to be absolutely highly commended. Um, in terms of what the campaign that you've got going just now, um, would you would you ever go down kind of like the pledge manager route or the kind of the allowing people to kind of order once the campaigns kind of close because it seems to be it's almost seems to be a standard to the point which in fact that Kickstarter also seem to be now rolling out their own almost like their pledge manager after the fact that if you've missed the campaign you can go in and kind of do a late pledge through the Kickstarter system. Would you ever consider doing that or are you a case of right we've got the funding we're ready to go, I've got a timetable I've got to stick to and even though it'd be nice to potentially gain, you know, to gain a couple of extra backers, it's going to interfere with, you know, my plans to getting this to kind of like the backers as quickly as I can. So that's a really interesting question for a number of reasons. So first of all, something to be aware for people who don't know sort of pledge manager. Um... They said no to me on multiple occasions. They're not interested. Mm-hmm. They're only interested in projects that are over £20,000 or dollars or something. They're just not interested um, if, you are, if you are smaller than that. Um, so they just turn you down flat. Um, they pointed me at... I forget what the other one's called. There's crowd the smaller or, one. There's crowd orcs and... No, it's not that one. It's game, I forget what it's game called. Found and there's quite. I mean, there's actually quite a few. There's quite a few now. Yeah. that are kind of um, kicking about. So they pointed me at another one. Uh, I don't recall. I had come across it before, but I can't think what it is now. Um, and and those people wanted fifty percent of anything that we took. <coughs> right. Um, through through their platform, and you know, I, I I'm not being funny, but my profit margins aren't that high. You know, I'd be, I'd be paying people to back my project late. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just not interested in anything that doesn't further the cause of the project. I'd, I'd rather give the game away for free to those people who might come late because yeah. that's more cost-effective, right? Okay. Um, so, so I don't want that. You know, I, I don't want that situation. Um, what I've done a few times, and I only do this for my larger projects, is I do give people the opportunity... Um, to visit a page on our website where you can uh, sort of do a late pledge via PayPal. And what I will do is I will link it on the Kickstarter, so if someone finds it late for any reason, they can go through. But I won't be actively pushing it, because I don't feel that that serves the people who've backed the Kickstarter very well. 
Um, the, uh, in my mind, and, and I, I would recommend, again, uh, a lot of this has been aimed at people who are new to Kickstarter. So if you're a Kickstarter vet and you disagree with me, then sure, great. Maybe you know more than I do. It's quite possible. Um, I think that when you have finished a Kickstarter campaign, you owe it to the people who've given you money to deliver the thing you said you were going to deliver and deliver it with the highest possible quality on time I should say, uh, out of all of those uh, 48 funded campaigns, I've delivered one thing late. It was a stretch goal on uh, Era of the Consortium, A Universe of Expansions. In fact, Revival, the book I mentioned earlier, it was initially going to be a 60-page book. It turned into a 150-page book with okay. maps and so on, and I was a month late delivering it in the end. Um, so, yeah, that's the only thing I've ever delivered late. Disgraceful it's- a month. I, I know. I mean, I, Joe. I mean, seriously, that's a scandal right here. I mean, the the, the title of the show is going to be Ed Jowett Twenty Eight Days Later. <laughs> <laughs> but in in reality, the 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 thing that I see when I look at Kickstarter is there are a lot of people who go on and do not plan their campaigns properly. Um, I am a project manager, you know, in in sort of real life in inverted commas. I worked full time as well as doing all this stuff. Um, I'm a software project manager, so I have a lot of experience myself in planning and running yeah. projects. Yeah. Um, and that obviously gives me an advantage in planning and running projects, yeah. unsurprisingly. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't... They undervalue what that means. I mean, I I don't hear very many Kickstarters that deliver on time, let alone, you know, early. Um, when I hear about Kickstarters, it's, oh, this is three months late and I don't even know if it's coming. Have I wasted my money? I'm never using Kickstarter again. These are, these are the kinds of feedback that I hear about Kickstarter campaigns. Unless you're Orange Nebula. I mean, Orange Nebula delivered early. I'm just giving them a plug because they're awesome people. Um, you know, but yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's usually a case. I mean, if somebody says, oh no, my Kickstarter's a month late. That's why I was making the joke. Because normally it is a case Mm. of folk going, oh, a month late. Yeah. Is that it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, no point in taking to the comments for that then, is there? I mean, it's not even that's not even professional lateness as far as Kickstarter goes. I mean, you're looking at six months to a couple of years if you really, really want to kind of push the boat out. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was in a board game group and, and someone asked about Kickstarter because they were thinking of, of going in and backing a game for the first time. And someone said, yeah, um, be aware that it will be three months to three years late. And I was just yeah. like, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't deny that those are the stats, but I, I just don't know how creators look themselves in the mirror when when I'd they deliver a project from, like that. I don't I think just, I don't think anybody goes out their way to make a, a campaign late. I know that there's some people. There's obviously some dubious kind of companies um, out there that um, you know. I, yes, that, but that equally, kind of, they have a modus you know, operandi about doing kind of certain things. But I think. Yeah, I mean, there's if you're a bit gonna of be organization. Late, yeah. You've got to communicate with the backers. They've given you the money to do the project. You know, you've got to tell them what's going on. You've got to tell them why you're late. You've got to tell them when it's going to be. And you've yeah. got to keep those expectations revised and up to date. Yeah. And you can't leave it to the last five minutes to tell someone that it's going to be six months late. Yeah. And, and to me, that is, you know, you're, you're saying, you know, professional standards on Kickstarter are whatever length of time. To me, that is a sign of people who don't know how to manage projects. Yeah. You know, because you've estimated wrong in the first place, for starters. 
Yeah, I think there's the excitement of being funded. I mean, as I say, I think, yeah, I mean, there's a way to kind of go through it and manage it and things like that. But I think every 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 um, every project has kind of like a potential to kind of slip back. Yeah. Which is yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And, and especially when they're the really big ones because they can spiral out of control. Right, uh, that happened to me with Revival. The reason it was late is it was the eighth expansion that I delivered with that Kickstarter. Right, if it had just been that one, I would have easily done it in six months. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think it you was can like, be a victim. You can be a victim you, of your own success. You know, you can be a victim. You, you absolutely where you can, can add on quality of life. I mean, Subterra, you know, are <laughs> they put out a kind of an update the other day and said it's like been almost three years since the game kind of first came to Kickstarter and they're still kind of sorting out kind of little bits here there and because the project went from nowhere to be an absolutely kind of huge. Um, one thing we haven't spoken about, Ed, and I'm conscious of the time, mm. um, is the price for the how to get in, the price on the door, the cost of that entry. That is correct. You know, so the, the cost end- of entry... Yes. It's relatively low. This is uh this is one of our pocket game range. Um so it is five pounds if you want to get Era Forbidden the digital version. Uh-huh. Um it's ten if you want to get both the digital and the paperback version. Okay. Um That's you can also get one of our memory cards. They're really awesome. I love those. They're USB memory cards, four gigabytes, and they're credit card size, so they fit fit in your wallet. Absolutely brilliant. You can get one of those. And uh, there's um, there's a tier where you can submit your own session, which we're going to add to sort of the community free stuff that people can get. Um, you can submit a session, and uh, we'll you know we'll tweak it and write it up for you, and uh, and get it out there. Um, and then of course, if you want to pick up some of our our games that um, perhaps you've missed out on in the past, uh, you can catch up on uh, all of our pocket games or. Um, all of our games in general, um, if that's uh, if that's the thing you want. So all of our ten existing games are actually available. And where can you find them on the internet webs? Where do they exist, Ed? Where else do they exist other than on the Kickstarter? Yes. Um, uh, so you can find uh, you can find everything on www.shadesofvengeance.com slash store for the uh, yes. for the various games if you want to get hold of them. Uh, paperback, digital, and hardback were available. Yes. Uh, you can also find many of the games on Drive Through RPG. Um, I've actually just uh, uh, this week um, released uh, Era Survival's definitive edition rulebook, uh, three hundred pages of of badness. I'm not going to say goodness um, on on Drive Through RPG. Um, and, uh, of course you can also, uh, find us in general on Facebook. Uh, that's, uh, Shades of Vengeance. Um, there's also the, uh, Era D10 Games official group, uh, that you're welcome to join and, and talk to us about. Um, uh, various stuff. We're also on Discord. Um, and I'll give, I'll give, uh, I'll give you the link at the end there. Yes. Um, to stick in the show notes rather than try and read that out because there's a bunch of letters. Um, That's fine. I'm, we're on Twitter at shades underscore of underscore venge. Yes. We are on Instagram at the same uh, at shades underscore un- of underscore venge. I can speak. I promise. Um, I don't believe we you. We are. Yeah. I. <laughs> if you don't believe me after this length of time, I don't know what to tell you. I've not. I. I <laughs> um. 
Uh, and of course, you can find us on Kickstarter. So um, you know, you can search Shades of Vengeance, and uh, you'll you'll find quite a number of projects. I'm sure. We've recently uh, released uh, uh, some audiobooks on Audible.com. Um, so you can search for Life on Gaia and uh, Radio Free Tyrannus on Audible, and they are there. Fantastic. Fantastic. Good. What we'll do is we'll make sure that we put all of those links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, then go to the internet webs and search for We Are Not Wizards. And you will find us on Facebook and Twitter and our website and our blog where we review stuff. We've got a review up there of Little Town and the captain is dead. And we've got quite a few other things kind of coming out continuously as we like to write more and more. Um, If you like what you've listened to, then please subscribe on your podcast player of choice, whether it's got the word pod in it, whether it's got the word cast in it, whether it's got neither. We don't care. Just press subscribe. It'd be fantastic. Um, If you like us even more, consider going to Apple Podcasts and... um, Giving you a 10-star rating. No! Drop us a subscription (laughs) or a review. A review? Oh, you don't want ratings anymore? Well, ratings are the same as reviews. You can do the same thing. You're still allowed to put in your your 10 stars. You don't give us 10 stars. What else do we not do, Ed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Magic? (sighs) We don't give us one star because it makes us Well, no, no, but but also we don't do magic because we're not wizards. That's right. But that's that's the next bit. I got that one, This bit is the middle bit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yes. We do have five. You're supposed to give... You're supposed to give them five stars because they're average, even though it's five out of five, so that, that actually doesn't Don't make any sense whatsoever. Don't ruin the joke. Just... Uh, I actually right. didn't get the joke the first... Like, like here's a here's a secret. I didn't get the joke the first, like, ten times I heard I you know tell you it. I know you did get the joke. Because I don't use... I know you don't. That was why it was so funny. Because you kept interjecting okay. every time and saying, no, no, give them ten stars. It's like, you can't physically give them ten stars. I know. It's like trying to give me a donut that doesn't exist, basically. But by the time <sighs> by the time I I said give them ten stars, I actually did know that you can't. Give yes, them 10 I know, stars. I know. It's just I've no more words, Ed. I really, really have no more words to say at all. Absolutely, um, as Ed has already said. Remember, we're many things, but we're not wizards because he's fantastic and wonderful. And check out Era Forbidden. Um, you've only got a couple of days. Um, if I can rush edit this out. Which is probably my fault, which is fine, because I deserve I deserve to have to rush something through occasionally in my life. Um, yes, and we'll make sure that everything's in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. There's only two more things to do, though. The first thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Ed. Say goodbye, Ed. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to me ramble again. Fantastic. And it's a bye from me. Remember, stay safe, rule sixes, make something awful. And the second thing is to go and jump onto this Kickstarter and have a check out because Ed works his butt off. He's a creative guy under a creative sky and he's given you creative pies. So, you know, the least you can do is cut yourself a slice and tuck in. Mm, um, pie. You know, pie. But until the next time, <laughs> good pie. Did you say good pie there? A wizard is never late.
Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 